0: Hello, this is Martin Wolf, Chief Economics Commentator of the Financial Times, with my podcast. Choices made in 2009 will shape the globe's destiny. January 6, 2009. Welcome to 2009. This is a year in which the fate of the world economy will be determined, maybe for generations. Some entertain hopes that we can restore the globally unbalanced economic growth of the middle years of this decade they are wrong. Our choice is only over what will replace it. It is between a better balanced world economy and disintegration. That choice cannot be postponed. It must be made this year. We are in the grip of the most significant global financial crisis for seven decades. As a result, the world has run out of creditworthy, large-scale, willing private borrowers. The alternative of relying on vast U.S. fiscal deficits and expansion of central bank credit is a temporary, albeit necessary, expedient. But it will not deliver a durable return to growth. Fundamental changes are needed. Already it must be clear, even to the most obtuse and complacent, that this crisis matches the most serious to have affected advanced countries in the post-war era. In a recent update of a seminal paper released first a year ago, Carmen Reinhardt of the University of Maryland and Kenneth Rogoff of Harvard spell out what this means. They note the similarities among big financial crises in advanced and emerging countries and by combining a number of severe cases, reach disturbing conclusions. Banking crises are protracted, they note, with output declining on average for two years. Asset market collapses are deep, with real house prices falling again on average by 35% over six years and equity prices declining by 55% over three and a half years. The rate of unemployment rises on average by seven percentage points over four years, while output falls by nine percent. Not least, the real value of government debt jumps on average by 86%. This is only in small part because of the cost of recapitalizing banks. It is far more because of collapses in government tax revenues. How far, then, will the present crisis match the worst of the past? The continuing willingness of the world to finance, at least the U.S., though not necessarily the smaller and more peripheral deficit countries such as the U.K., is a reason for optimism. It does allow the U.S. government to mount a vast fiscal and monetary rescue program. Yet, as Professors Reinhardt and Rogoff note in another paper, this is a global crisis, not just a regional one. It has reminded us that the U.S. is still, for good or ill, the core of the world economy. In the big crises of recent decades, U.S. demand rescued the world. This was true during the 1990s, after the Asian crisis, and again after the stock market crash of 2000. But who, apart from its government, will rescue the US? And on what scale must it act? This issue is addressed in another seminal paper, the latest in the series co-written by Wynne Godley and two others for the Levy Economics Institute of Bard College. The underlying argument is one with which readers of this column should by now be familiar. What makes rescue so difficult is the force that drove the crisis, the interplay between persistent external and internal imbalances in the U.S. and the rest of the world. The U.S. and a number of other chronic deficit countries have at present structurally deficient capacity to produce tradable goods and services. The rest of the world, or more precisely a limited number of big surplus countries, particularly China, have the opposite. So demand consistently leaks from the deficit countries to surplus ones. In times of buoyant demand, this is no problem. In times of collapsing private spending, as now, it is a huge one. It means that U.S. rescue efforts need to be big enough not only to raise demand for U.S. output, but also to raise demand for the surplus output of much of the rest of the world. This was a burden that crisis hit Japan did not have to bear. What has happened to U.S. private spending follows from the collapse in borrowing. Between the third quarter of 2007 and the third quarter of 2008, net lending to the U.S. private sector fell by about 13% of gross domestic product, by far the steepest fall in the history of this series. With borrowing out of the picture, private net saving, the difference between income and expenditure is likely to remain positive for years as households pay down debt. Willingly or not. Given the persistent structural current account deficit, how large does the fiscal deficit need to be to balance the US economy at something close to full employment? Assuming for the moment that the private sector runs a financial surplus of 6% of GDP and the structural current account deficit is 4% of GDP, the fiscal deficit must be 10% of GDP indefinitely. And to get to this point, the fiscal boost must be huge a discretionary boost of $760 billion, or about 5.3% of GDP, is not enough. The authors of the paper argue that, and I quote, even with the application of almost unbelievably large fiscal stimuli, output will not increase enough to prevent unemployment from continuing to rise through the next two years. End of quote. Now think what will happen if after two or more years of monstrous fiscal deficits... The U.S. is still mired in unemployment and slow growth. People will surely ask why the country is exporting so much of its demand to sustain jobs abroad. They will want their demand back. The last time this sort of thing happened in the 1930s, the outcome was a devastating round of beggar-my-neighbor devaluations plus protectionism. Can we be confident we can avoid such dangers? On the contrary, the danger is extreme, Once the integration of the world economy starts to reverse and unemployment soars, the demons of our past, above all nationalism, will return. Achievements of decades may collapse almost overnight. Yet we have a golden opportunity to turn away from such a disastrous course. We do know better now. The U.S. has, in Barack Obama, a president with vast political capital, His administration is determined to do whatever it can. But the U.S. is not strong enough to rescue the world economy on its own. It needs helpers, particularly in the surplus countries. The U.S. and a few other advanced countries can no longer absorb the world's surpluses of savings and goods. This crisis is the proof. The world has changed, and so must policy. It must change now. This podcast is available at www.ft.com forward slash wolf podcast. My columns are available at www.ft.com forward slash wolf. Goodbye.